You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Alexi. And I'm Brittany. And we're your token theater friends. Today, we'll be talking about Shadowland, written by Erica Dickerson Dispenza and put up at the public. And we'll also be talking about A, or What the Black Girl Found While Searching for God, written and performed by Taji Sr. First, we'd like to remind you that we're a completely crowdfunded podcast. We're a community of BIPOC critics, journalists, and friends who love the performing arts so much so that we do a weekly podcast and web series. We encourage you to join our friend zone on Patreon. You can subscribe for just $1 a month and contributors receive a weekly newsletter, access to bonus episodes, and so, so much more. So check us out. Great. So Brittany, I'm sure that you've heard about the recent press release that Andrew Cuomo um, discussed and presented earlier, I guess this month or last month, about the reopening of Broadway. And what are kind of your thoughts on the whole press release itself? Um, For one, I thought it was funny that he did it before the Broadway League or any of (laughs) the unions got to do it. Um, And I know it's opened up hope um, for a lot of folks, so many of us. I work in theater as well. I work at a a nonprofit theater in New York in administration. And I know for so many of us, this past year has been really detrimental when it comes to being an arts workers. So I'm sure his announcements provided a lot of hope, but it also provides a lot of questions. I mean, I don't think theater is ready to be back at full capacity. Um, I know tickets are on sale. I have friends who have bought tickets to six, the musical, which is great. But um, honestly, I'm, I'm really concerned. How about you? I mean, I think I'm also concerned. I understand it's just weird, right? Because obviously in like a capitalist society, it's like you need quote unquote to go back to work, even if like it's not necessarily safe to do so. Um, and so you, it's hard to sort your feelings about understanding about, oh, I'm happy that individuals in the performing arts industry feel like they can now <laughs> like have a lifeline towards like sustaining themselves financially. But I think I, prefer to know what the details are behind what safety precautions will be made um, theater to theater. And I wanna know as well, like whether the individuals who are working in the industry and working in those theaters will have a say in terms of making sure that they feel comfortable as well. 
Um, I don't know when I will be fully in like an indoor theater um, for a show. My personally, it's hard for me to like uh, kind of let go of like the anxieties that like I've saddled on to myself for the past pandemic. So it'll be interesting. But everyone on Twitter is buying tickets for company and, <laughs> and the they line. absolutely are. <laughs> Uh, my admiration is going more so towards uh, collectives or groups on the ground who have been doing devised work or they're coming up with in-person work. They're coming up work in public parks. Uh, I mean, Shakespeare in the Park by the Public Theater is like a huge example, really well-known example. But um, no matter where you are in the country, if you look around, I'm sure you're going to find local groups that are doing their own work, creating their own installations you know, in public places where you can physically distance a bit more um, and feel a lot safer. And I, I agree. I wonder how much artists are actually being, you know, integrated on, into all of this decision making when it comes to going back. Because uh, I'm sorry, are they ready? Are mm -hmm. they ready? And I don't mean physically have they like been eating celery and working out. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, the rigor that's demanded of workers to be putting on eight shows a week and not, that's not just people on stage stage managers designers people that own laundromats nearby all the people that have to be on call quote unquote to put up this huge broadway and off broadway and off off broadway industry at least in new york um where i'm based are they ready are they being included are they being catered to are they being warned about safety precautions with COVID and just increases in violence, increases in hatred. And to your point, I mean, this industry makes a lot of money, but arts workers don't uh, make a lot of money. And I wonder, I wonder if they're being included when they're literally risking their lives to go back to this thing um, that's really mostly enjoyed by tourists. I know. And I feel like I would hope that in the reopening of theaters, et cetera, et cetera, that, because demand is high. It's obvious by mm -hmm. the circles that, uh, like the social circles that we run in, that there is a lot of money being put on the line to buy these tickets. And I hope that demand is not so high that it kind of undoes the increased access that people have had to theater because of the pandemic. So like virtual showings, recordings, meetings. Um, are you just going to have a huge inflation of prices? Um, I believe like someone like tweeted, like, I want to know about rush policies that these theaters will have in this pandemic or like in this right. world. I'm like, please, I, I personally am also interested and curious to know um, because that's probably how I will be getting any Broadway show. <laughs> oh, for sure. I don't, I'm not even sure if, well, that's not true. I'm sure people our age can, but I feel like most people, um, our age aren't really buying full price Broadway tickets. I'm not sure if many of us can. So learning more about the rush policies is absolutely helpful. And honestly, I've been saying this to my friends. I don't know if I miss Broadway as much as I missed off Broadway and like that community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where more experimental work is often done. Uh, are there any shows that you might have wanted to see? It doesn't have to be in New York, it could be in Philadelphia too, of course, that, um, maybe the world doesn't know about, but like you were really, really excited about? Um, I guess like, I think for me, I've had a lot of shows where I'm like, oh, I do want to see that in person. And that's been mm -hmm. kind of like, I think the classic framework. And I feel like I've spoken to a lot of individuals that also hold that 
like train of thought, which is basically, oh, this was great, but I would have loved to see it in person. And so I believe either the Wilma or Arden put up a production called Fat Ham. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was a really interesting kind of like adaptation of Hamlet, I believe. Um, And it was just like primarily African-American cast, like African-American playwright who um, did the adaptation. And it was just like, it just felt very Philly. It felt very, very cool. Um, But other than that, I also feel like Philly's theater scene has, it's hard because it's like a lot of local theaters. So it's Mm -hmm. like in a lot of like theater collectives. So it doesn't have huge budgets. And I think a lot of um, like Philly theater collectives have pushed in-person shows for later. So there's Shakespeare in Clark Park, and that is a very, very cool kind of like local production of a Shakespeare play in a local park. And it's obviously mirrored off and based off of like Shakespeare in the Park and Central Park. But I'm more excited again for, I guess like outdoor productions in the summer. Those always feel a little more communal. Um, but yeah, there is no like one show people have to have to see yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have two shows that we do want you to um, listen to, two audio plays that have been kind of framed as podcasts themselves. And so, as I said before, we'll be reviewing Shadowland, which was written by Erica Dickerson Desponza. And it's part of a podcast series that was recently launched by the Public Theater. Um, Brittany, can you tell me what were kind of like your first reactions after listening to the show? That is a great question. And I'll say I've listened to this show twice now. The first time just because I'm a fan and I was curious. And then again, of course, because I wanted to talk about it here with you. And um, two things. One, I think... I've, I've always been kind of averse to attention, visibility, those kinds of things, um, even though I work as a journalist. But this is the kind of show that makes me want to be famous so I could just tell everyone in the world to go listen to this show and, and they will do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this play is what happens when a writer, a playwright specifically, loves herself, loves where she comes from and investigates that and, and really tries to craft a story from their own history, from their own knowledge, rather than try to escape the, in other characters or get lost in other characters, like a lot of writers talking about wanting to do. But um, it's really excellent. And, and to give our listeners a brief background of what the show is, it follows Ruth and her 80-year-old mother, Magalie, who is in a um, middle state of dementia, and the two are trapped in Shadowland when the building is hit by Hurricane Katrina, the whole neighborhood, the state's hit by Hurricane Katrina. Um, And it, throughout the play, it's following these two women at one, try to escape Shadowland, but they have um, differing opinions about how to do so. Um, It explores environmental racism and how these black women have probably in, in more ways than one have had to face more terror when it comes to this hurricane than their richer counterparts and their wider counterparts. Um, It explores the self, desire, relationships between women, between mother and daughters, and just so, so, so much more. And as the stakes kind of heighten and the hurricane is getting worse, you know, the conversations with these two women are picking up, their debates are picking up. And um, in the end, it's actually about both of them 
getting closer to their own truths in a way and um, really distilling the relationship they have down to love and dedication for one another and for their history. And it's just fantastic, um, really, really fantastic. And it, it makes the most out of its medium with the best language, um, just the sound design on the play as well was really, really striking. You do feel like you're plopped into the middle of this disaster, even, even as the women are making jokes and um, corralling about their history, you really do feel the stakes um, in every, every, every detail of this play. And yeah, I mean, I just, I would recommend it to a wall. It's so good. So good. <laughs> what did you think? I mean, you really kind of touched on all the great parts about this play. I also really enjoyed it. I think there are a lot of plays about a relationship between a mother and daughter. I think this one really kind of had that, I guess, kind of, I think it just really encapsulated like the way that a mother can express love for a child, but also kind of have the comfortability to, I don't know, it just felt very real in the language that was used. I think for me as well, what I really enjoyed the most about it was this kind of hyper focus on what was like the purpose of life, what should you get out of life, when should you pursue your happiness, and I think that in a lot of marginalized communities, there is constantly a conversation between parents and their children about what needs to be sacrificed for kind of uh, the greater good in terms of the outcomes of your life in the long run and what can be enjoyed um, in the moment. And I think at least I've heard similar, I've just heard very similar pieces of advice from my own parents that Magalie mm -hmm. passed on to her daughter, which was along the lines of like, you wanna look at the end of your life and see something tangible to represent what basically to represent what you've sacrificed. So for my parents, who, like my dad, who's an immigrant, that might be me, right? I am like the tangible representation of his sacrifice. Um, but for Magali, it was kind of working very hard to make sure that Shadowland was um, a center for her community. And I think like I, and like, and the daughter doesn't necessarily understand those sacrifices. Um, and I think I can also relate to a little bit of confusion. I understand the importance of sacrifice, but I also have grown up in a different world than my parents. So I now Absolutely. have different priorities. Um, Absolutely. That was just nice to have in the play. And I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a line, so many of the lines stand out to me because literally every single line is laced with imagery and poetry. Like think Zora Neale Hurston, Toni Morrison. That is like the influence that you're getting um, when you listen to this play. But to your point, there's a line that says, sweet satisfaction ain't in no fl fleeting feeling, Ruth. And mind you, this is in like a beautiful New Orleans accent, not mine. <laughs> it's in a job well done. And Magali tells that to Ruth. And I couldn't help but think about, you know, in a similar situation, my parents immigrated here from the Caribbean and to see how hard they've worked and the legacy that they've built for themselves, for my sister and me to have the life that we have and the, you know, the privileges that we have. Um, it's really, really touching. And although the story is so specific to what happened to 
these women and the playwright's own family, because it's, I don't want to say autobiographical, but the play is inspired by a real history, um, the playwright's real familial history. It felt so close to my own um, in, in a really incredible, incredible and beautiful way. I mean, the lines were really good. I kept yeah. writing down pieces, like different lines that got me. I think, I mean, like you said, it's very poetic. And mm -hmm. when the storm was coming in, uh, Magali, I think, or the narrator, but Magali said, get ready to cradle the sky. And I just mm -hmm. had this, like, that's beautiful. I just had this whole image of like the sky falling down, which I mean, is what happens in a hurricane, but absolutely, I just, had, just to have it just, it, like it just verbalized like that. But there's yes. so many, yeah, there's just so many lines about love as well. Mm -hmm. And just, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a play I'd like to like listen to three times over. So anyone who's listening, really just like listen to the language because this poetry, yeah. um, but like I said before, they also just have like dialogue that feels very natural and real. For sure. It's a play you want to cuddle up in. And even though it's dealing with big abstract ideas, the fact that it's set on these uh, fully developed characters makes it um, so compelling, so tangible. Uh, there's a line that I think Ruth says that when they're talking about the storm, how her tree fainted on a car. And when I was listening to it, I was like on my morning walk, passing cars. And I'm like, wow, not you making this horrible thing sound so beautiful and effervescent. Like, no, I know. Fainted <laughs> on the car. I'm like, oh, wow. It may, it may uh, the magic so of gentle. storytelling. <laughs> When the tree faints, it feels gentle. It doesn't feel catastrophic. I know, I know. And the car is almost like a pillow, but this was a really good show. And I think it's supposed to be like one of 10 plays. Yeah, it's a part of a 10 play cycle of plays that I think all revolve around water in some way. Um, this play in particular, again, Shadowland, is available to stream up until April 13th, 20, 2022. And I really, I'm sure we both encourage everybody to don't wait until April 13th, 2022. You really want to listen to this now. Yeah, you um, want to listen to it now. And what we love, or at least what I love, is free things. And this oh. is a piece of free theater. So when that comes your way, don't pass it up. <laughs> don't pass it up, especially when it's this good. Don't pass it up. Exactly. And now we're also going to talk about another show that is free and we think go, pairs very well with Shadowlands. So the other show, as mentioned before, is A, or What the Black Girl Found While Searching for God, which was written and performed by Taji Sr. And the play was recorded, um, I believe, about a year ago. And it's the most recent episode released uh, by the Parsnip Ship which seeks to provide a platform for BIPOC, queer playwrights, um, playwrights from underrepresented communities to have their work produced um, in an audio play format. So they tried, they were really prioritizing the radio play before we all made that transition during the pandemic. Um, I love the Parsnip Ship. Brittany, have you engaged with the work put out by the Parsnip Ship before or? <laughs> Yeah, to your point, first of all, they've been on this wave, right? They mm -hmm. probably um, received a lot more attention during the shutdown, to be quite frank, because people are seeking this kind of technology and this kind of storytelling. And I knew about it in the sense that I've listened to their work, 
But now um, I actually give a shout out to one Ivan Debri, who is the creator of the partnership. Um, she recently joined our team at Signature Theater, which is where I work in New York. So getting to learn a lot more about her journey and what she's trying to accomplish with that organization has been really fascinating. And uh, I'm only seeing good things from them in 2021 and beyond. So I actually am really curious about how you found this show because I am a 24-year-old Black girl listening to it. And I think a lot of what is in the show was directed not towards me, but the muck of what our main character A was going through is muck I've been through and currently going through. So what's it like when you're not a young Black girl listening to the show? How did you find it? Yeah, I think for me... I just found the show because I like to follow the work of the parsnipship. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I love any type of show that tries to be kind of like a one person show, especially when it's not like a straight white man being that one person. Um, because monologues are really good kind of like looking glass um, into the experiences of others that you may not know of directly. Um, And I think that's kind of where I came from when I suggested listening to the piece. And as I listened to it, there was just a lot of experiences that departed, obviously, from what I lived through on a day-to-day. But I think it was so much more useful listening to that piece right after listening to Shadowland, because it almost Mm -hmm. felt like a family, but also you just saw trend lines. You saw trend lines of experiences Um, being, I mean, you saw trend lines of experiences being described. One big thing in A is talking about systemic racism. The fact that like, if you're not physically brutalized, you will be brutalized by legislation and policy. And I think then Shadowland shows you the lived experiences that come from a failure in policy and environmental racism. Um, And so that's where I, felt like I was getting a lot more from the play because these two shows were giving context to the lived experiences being expressed in each other. And that's like rare. I think it's rare to like have a, a show Breed. where you know exactly breathe life and context into the other. What did you think though? Like since it spoke so directly to you. Yeah, absolutely. What I was just thinking about the whole time was um, the braveness of this writer and putting our insecurities and truly the things that sometimes as a black girl, as a black young woman, um, I don't want people to know about these insecurities because in a way, if I'm self-conscious about my hair, it's reaffirming the notion that there's something wrong with my hair. Um, And just the way that this art is connecting young black girls, I think through our vulnerabilities is really powerful. Um, a, A line that stood out to me was that the strings are real, the machinery is real, you are not crazy. But just the validation of hearing sometimes that um, we're not crazy and that the ways systemically, personally, even within our own communities, um, we've gaslit one another about what it means to feel seen or to really learn about yourself. And in this show, um, A, our, our protagonist, is constantly trying to be in communion with God. Um, and then when that conversation is taken away she has to search externally internally to find herself quote unquote right like that's the search Mm -hmm. she wants to learn more about herself her own insecurities the way she's feeling 
And um, the whole play is littered, though, with these biblical references, and it integrates Christian jargon or jargon about Christianity and religion to as A continues to search for that ultimate meaning. Um, but it's it's a play that poses these questions. Who are we without God? Um, who are we if we're just using God as comfort? Um, who are we when we're by ourselves? Who are we when we return to our bodies? And I think it's an extremely, extremely important conversation and an important interrogation um, we should all be doing, but especially young Black girls and Black women should be doing. Um, yeah, I thought this piece was so, so powerful. And I understand that this show provided kind of like, as you said, really kind of like raw insight into like mm -hmm. insecurities. So if it's like for like a Black audience member or Black like, woman identifying audience member that this is like an interrogation of their own personal experiences. For people that fall outside of that identity, do you feel like it's useful or do you feel like it is, do you feel like it's almost kind of like stepping into a space that we shouldn't step into quite yet without context or knowledge? Or do you feel like there needs to be learning on our end in addition to watching the show? Do you understand? Like, did I express yeah. that clearly or? I get your question. I'm just, I'm not sure if I can answer it, right? Because I'm so steeped in experiencing it as a Black young woman. Um, I almost turn the question back to what you said about how you were, you know, given insight when you were listening to it. And I wonder if it's helpful for you. I mean, learning about myself from a play like this is helpful for me. And in this case, I can be a better more informed person when I go out into the world. I can be a more confident and empathetic person. Um, so that reverberates, but, and I hope the same is done for people who are not black when they listen to this show. Um, another compelling part I actually found about the show, which I think needs to be done more often is it explored the ways um, we even underappreciate and undervalue ourselves within the black femme community. Um, I mean, it touched on issues of featureism, texturism, colorism, and how sometimes we play a, a part in putting down our own selves. And, um, and, it, and um, it touches on Black boyhood and Black manhood, which is oh. interesting that even a show so steeped in Black girlhood just has to, almost has to reference the violence that's committed against Black boys and men and how sometimes the energy and passion in, um, you know, putting down that violence is not returned when the violence is thrust upon girl or femme identifying bodies. Um, I'd also say non-binary black bodies. I, I understand. And I think I, not I think, I know I agree. I think for me, when I think about these plays that depart so um, far from the identities that I carry, I think a lot about the intentions of the writer and the playwright mm -hmm. and kind of understanding, were they seeking to teach? Were they seeking to affirm? Were they seeking to do both? Um, because I've been in situations where I've had, for example, like non-Latinx friends watch a movie that directly relates to like my experiences um, and is not necessarily a story for me, but more an affirmation of the experiences I go through day to day. And it doesn't sit right for me to see those friends treat the movie, play, book, et cetera, as right. like a story, right. right? And so it's hard 
to understand how to navigate and have that fine line. Because I think on one end, I'm really happy that people are learning about these stories, but I'm also like, are we going to treat this like a story? And I still haven't answered the question when I've been <laughs> on the other end in terms of like, what learning do I want them to do to kind of contextualize the story they just saw being dramatized in a way that isn't mm -hmm. simply just kind of like a piece of drama, but actually like, I don't know, it's almost like reading an article almost. Right. <laughs> a piece of drama or like a lecture. Like I don't always want the art from my communities to only be sought out when times are tough and you want a lesson about how it feels to be a black girl. Like I don't want people only coming to this show if their desire is, oh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to learn this. And when I walk out, I would have been able to fly to fly this certificate in my hand that I listened to this show and I learned this thing. You know what I mean? Like our oh, world absolutely. and our experiences are more complex than that. And to your point, it does suck when you show someone who's not of your culture, like something you love and they either don't get it, don't think it's funny. It feels like a personal attack. So I understand that, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we put too much pressure on our own art to teach people, to entertain people when Sometimes it's just about how it makes us feel, how it reflects back onto us. Um, and I know I, I walked out of this show being like, all right, I'm not crazy. There are other folks that feel this way. And that is powerful in and of itself, even if the lesson is just taught to me. There's just been kind of a huge like surge in media. So like TV mm -hmm. shows, movies, mm -hmm. plays, et cetera, mm -hmm. that are dramatizing a lot of the experiences of my community, but they're often trying to teach a history lesson, as you said. And I think yep. those are so useful. Um, but I think a lot, I think I've, I've seen a lot of people be like, I'm learning about history through a TV show, you know? Yeah. Like if you're learning through the AIDS epidemic and the black trans women movement through Pose, like I, that's a lovely introduction to it. And I love that show, but that's like not the enough. only thing you should yeah. be doing, right? It's not enough. And so, I then think about how now there's kind of like branching off like children books, authors and illustrators are no longer trying to create children books like in which people of color are the characters and teaching a lesson, but just simply people of color are the characters and like mm -hmm. it's just like a normal fairy tale and there is no history lesson trying to be taught in this children's book. And I feel like I'd like to reach that point with like all the other pieces of um, media and art as well. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like both of these pieces are offering, I would say black women in particular because of the subject matter, a space to just be, to just listen, to hear a story about ourselves and just be. And I think with either of these shows, if you're a person who wants to explore identity, explore history, explore um, systematic, but also individualized discrimination, and how it's particularly impacted Black women, then sure, these are the places to come to. But if you just wanna hear some great art and that's it, these are also the places to come to. Thank you for such a lovely conversation. Um, this show will, is also available. So A is available wherever you listen to your podcast. You just type in the name of the play along with the parsnipship and the episode should pop up. And from what I understand, there is no end to when you can access it. And it is another piece of free theater. So 
Both these shows are free. Everyone can listen to them, listen to them back to back, ruminate with them, listen to them again and again. Um, and again and again and again. <laughs> absolutely. I'm Alexi. And I'm Brittany. And we're your token theater friends. We'll be back next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.